Hello, everyone. Sydney St. James here with you with another great episode of the Sydney St. James Show. We'll be talking about, well, just talking about anything you can possibly think of. So stay tuned. We're coming up with our next episode of the Sydney St. James Show. everyone and welcome to the new year 2022 you know i laid my pen down for the last several months of 2021 and paid more attention to my new podcast show and simply gave a long rest from my writing however i'm not sure what i'll be choosing for this year but i can assure you i will have a new book that will be coming out But if you would like to know what I'm working on, I'll give you a glimpse of what is yet to be for this coming year. Furthermore, I'll be releasing the audio version of The Winds of Destiny, available wherever audiobooks are sold. But for now, let's get down to a peep of what's happening in the corners of my mind, or better yet, behind the scenes for one of my next novels coming up this year. Let me start out by saying, who doesn't like a good ghost story, right? As you're probably aware, the 19th century can be remembered as a time of science and technology. When the ideas of Charles Darwin and that great theory of evolution and Samuel Morse's telegraph changed the whole wide world forever. However, in a century somewhat built on reason, there's ascended a profound awareness of the supernatural. After all, whoever watched the show The Supernatural, gosh, it lasted, will still last forever and ever. It's a great, great TV show. But Even today, a new technology was coupled with the public's interest in ghosts as spiritual photographs, crafty fakes created by using double explosures, which became popular items for sale everywhere. In in 2022, I'm not going to be writing a history book, but ideas from history books written with the 19th century fascination with the other world was a way to hold on to a superstitious past. Or maybe, just maybe, some bizarre things were actually happening and people simply recorded them accurately. Who knows? The 1800s spawned countless tales of ghosts and spirits and spooky events. Some of them, like legends of silent ghost trains, just zooming down the tracks, while startled witnesses on dark nights were so common that it's impossible to pinpoint where or when these stories actually began. And it seems that every place on earth has some version of a 19th century ghost story. I seem to have a fetish 
with the past. And I'm leaning towards my new novel to have something to do with a long time ago history. Take four of my books, for, for instance. The Guitar, This Old House, Bellum Towers, or even Lady in Red. They all have a twist of the supernatural to them. And, uh-huh, let's not forget the three book set, the Storm Lord Trilogy. They all have the presence of ghosts and the supernatural as part of them. As I get ready to begin typing away on my new novel, let's look at what follows as some examples of spooky, scary, and weird events from the 1800s, which became legendary. All of them have taken on a framework that I'll be using in my novels. I just haven't made, made up my mind which story I'm going to tell. As an example, let me tell you about one of them. There's a malicious spirit that terrorized a Tennessee family. A newly elected president of the United States who got a great fright. And lastly, a headless railroader. Oh, and yes, let's not forget the first lady of the United States who was overwhelmingly obsessed with ghosts. My newest novel will come forth out of the following four ghost stories. Shall we begin? My first story is about a witch that terrorizes a family and frightens even a war hero, former president of the United States, Andrew Jackson, who is, by the way, on the face of a $20 bill. One of the most notorious haunting stories in history is this story, and it's about the Bell Witch, a malicious spirit that first showed up on the farm of the Bell family in northwestern Tennessee a long, long time ago. The spirit was determined, and the spirit was nasty, so much so that it was credited with actually killing the head of the Bell family. The unexplained events began in the year 1817, when a farmer, John Bell, saw a strange creature huddled down in a long row of corn stalks. Bell thought he was looking at some unknown type of large dog, maybe a big dark German shepherd or coonhound, but it was the most giant dog he had ever seen in either case. At first, he thought it was probably a, just a dark or black German shepherd. The beast stood there. He stared at Bale. Bale put the gun to his shoulder and fired it. And the dog, or wild animal, whatever it was, ran off. A few days later, another family member looked out the kitchen window and saw a big bird on a fence post. It was Thanksgiving, and he wanted to shoot at what he thought was a wild turkey and was startled when the bird took off flying right over the top of him 
and giving way to the fact that it was not a big bird, but in fact, it was a gigantic animal instead. Other sightings of unusual animals that couldn't be explained continued with the strange black dog often showing up. And then peculiar noises began in the bell house late at night. When the lamps were lit, the noises would come to an abrupt stop. John Bell began to be afflicted with odd symptoms, such as the swelling of his tongue, which made it almost impossible for him to eat or drink or even talk. He finally told a friend about the strange events out on his farm, and his friend and his wife came to help investigate. The spirit that night came into their bedroom while the guests slept at the bell farm and yanked the covers from their bed. According to the legend, the haunting spirit continued making noises at night and finally began to speak to the family in a strange voice with a long echo. The spirit, which was given the name Catherine, would argue with family members, although it was written from historical descriptions to be a friendly spirit, but only friendly to some. There was a book way back when published about this bell witch in the late 1800s, and it claimed that some locals believed the spirit was benevolent and was sent to help the family. But the apparition began to show a violent and malicious side. According to several versions of the story, the bell witch would stick pins into the family members and then pick them up and then throw them violently down on the ground, back and forth. John Bell was attacked also. He was beaten badly one day by an invisible foe. The fame of the spirit grew in Tennessee and supposedly Andrew Jackson, who wasn't president yet, but was revered as a fearless war hero, heard of the strange events and came to put an end to it. Guess what? The bell witch greeted his arrival with a great commotion, throwing dishes in the kitchen at Jackson and not letting anyone at the farm sleep that night. Although a war hero, Jackson supposedly said he would instead go back and fight the British again than face the Bell Witch. He departed to form quickly the following morning. In 1820, just three years after the spirit arrived at the Bell Farm, John Bell was found quite ill next to a vial of some strange liquid. He soon died, apparently poisoned. His family members gave some of the liquid to a cat, and the cat also died. However, his family altogether agreed that the spirit forced John Bell to drink the poison. The Bell Witch apparently left the farm 
after John Bell's death, though some people, some, still report strange happenings in the vicinity of the form to this very day. Okay, well, that's my first consideration for my next novel, is to write a book about the Bell Witch. Or, let's move along to my next consideration. It is one where I found that the Fox sisters communicated with the spirits of the dead. Maggie and Kate Fox, two young sisters who lived in a village in western New York State, began to hear noises supposedly caused by spirit visitors. And this happened in the spring of 1848. Within a few years, the girls became known across the nation regarding their spiritualism. Newspapers would write their stories in all four corners of the states. In Hydesville, New York, the instances started when a blacksmith, his name was John Fox, began hearing these weird noises in an old house he and his family bought. The bizarre rapping inside the wall seemed to focus on the bedrooms of young Maggie and Kate. The girls challenged the spirit to communicate with him. According to Maggie and Kate, the spirit was that of a traveling peddler or salesman who was murdered on the premises years earlier. However, the dead peddler kept communicating with the two sisters, and before long, other spirits joined in as well. The story about the Fox sisters and their connection to the spirit world spread out, uh, continued to spread out all through the communities all across the United States. They became famous. They also appeared one time in a theater up in Rochester, New York, and they charged admission to demonstrate just how they could communicate with the spirits. These events became known as the Rochester Knockings. Finally, America in the late 1840s seemed ready to believe the story about spirits noisily communicating with the two young sisters and the Fox girls. They became a national sensation. Every newspaper carried something about them. A newspaper article in 1850 claim that people in Ohio and Connecticut and other places were also hearing the rapping of the spirits and mediums who claimed they could speak to the dead were popping up in the cities across America. An editorial I found in one of the old Scientific American magazine scoffed about the arrival of the Fox City sisters in New York City and 
referring to the girls as the spiritual knockers from Rochester. Despite all the skeptics, famed newspaper editor Horace Greeley became fascinated with spiritualism and one of the Fox sisters even lived with Greeley and his family for a time in New York City. In 1888, 40 years after the Rochester knockings, the Fox sisters appeared in New York City to finally say it had all been a hoax. It had started as a girlish mischief, an attempt that they went after to frighten their mom. And things just kept escalating. The rappings, they explained, had actually been noises caused by them popping the joints in their toes. However, spiritualist followers claimed that the omission of fraud was itself a ruse, and it was inspired by the sisters who really needed money. The sisters who did experience poverty both died within the next several years. The spiritualist movement inspired by the Fox sisters outlived them. And in 1904, at the turn of the century, children playing at the supposedly haunted house where the family had lived in 1848 discovered a crumbling wall in a basement. And behind that wall was the skeleton of a man. Those who believe in the spiritual powers of the Fox sisters contend the skeleton was undoubtedly that of the murdered peddler who first communicated with the young girls in the spring of 1848. Wow. Go figure that, right? Well, I got one more story, basically. Well, actually, I have two. And before I get into my last two stories of what I'm going to be considering in writing my next novel for this upcoming year, I'd like to talk about my sponsor, Anchor FM. They are a great host in case you're ever thinking about getting your podcast started. I'll be right back with the rest of my story. never really got into the ghost story of um, the first six books in the Lincoln assassination series, but between Abraham Lincoln and Mary Lincoln, they were very much believers in the other side. So my next story will come from all the research that I did in writing these six novels. It played an essential part also in book one of the series, The Assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln did, in fact, see a frightening vision of himself in a mirror. You know, a spooky double vision of himself in a mirror back then, it still startled and scared Abraham Lincoln immediately, like only days after he won the election in 1860. On election night, 
Abraham Lincoln returned home after receiving good news over the telegraph and celebrated with all of his friends. He was tired, no doubt, exhausted, and he collapsed on a sofa. When he awoke in the morning, he had a strange vision later prey on his mind. One of his assistants recounted Lincoln's telling of what happened in an article published in Harper's Monthly Magazine in the year 1865. The month was July. The magazine I used in my writings of the historical nonfiction series was this magazine. It was written a few months after Lincoln's death. Lincoln recalled glancing across the room at a mirror that stood above a bureau. Then, in his own words from the magazine, he said, Looking in that glass, I saw myself reflected nearly at full length. But my face, I noticed, had two separate and distinct images. The tip of the nose of one being about three inches from the end of the other. I was a little bothered, perhaps startled, and got up and looked in the glass, but the illusion went away. On lying down again, I saw it a second time, plainer, if possible, even more plainer than before. And then I noticed that one of the faces was a little paler, say five shades or more than the other. So I got up and the thing melted away. And I went off and in the excitement of the hour forgot all about it. Nearly, but not quite, for the thing would once in a while come up and give me a little pang. And so something uncomfortable had happened. The next day, Lincoln walked throughout the White House and every room that he walked, there was a mirror hanging. He tried his best to repeat the optical illusion, but could not replicate it. According to the people who worked with Lincoln during his presidency, the strange vision stuck in his mind to the point where he tried to reproduce the circumstances in the White House day in and day out, but he couldn't. When Lincoln told Mary, his wife, about the weird thing he'd seen in the mirror, Mary Lincoln had a dire interpretation. Nevertheless, Lincoln continued telling his story and said, my wife thought it was a sign a sign that I was to be elected to a second term of office and that the paleness of one of the faces was an omen that I should not see living through the last term in office. Years after seeing the ghostly vision of himself and his pale double in the mirror, Lincoln had again a nightmare in which he visited the lower level of the White House which was decorated all in black for a funeral. He asked someone whose funeral it was 
and was told the president had been murdered. This is honest to goodness truth. Within only a few weeks after this dream, Lincoln was assassinated at Ford's Theater. During this time, many people thought Mary Todd Lincoln was crazy because she saw ghosts in the White House and she was holding seances. You know, Lincoln's wife probably became interested in spiritualism sometime in the 1840s when the widespread interest in communicating with the dead became a fad in the Midwest. Mediums appeared in Illinois, gathering an audience and claiming to speak to the dead relatives of those present. By the time Abraham and Mary Lincoln arrived in Washington in 1861, an interest in spiritualism was a fad among prominent government members. Mary Lincoln was known to attend seances held at the homes of notable people in Washington City. And there is at least one report of President Lincoln accompanying her to a seance held by a trance medium. Her name was Mrs. Cranston Laurie of Georgetown in early 1863. Mrs. Lincoln was also said to have encountered the ghost of former residents of the White House, including the spirits of Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson. And one account said she entered a room one day and saw the ghost of President John Tyler. One of the Lincoln sons, his name was Willie, died in the White House in February of 1862, and Mary Lincoln, no doubt, was consumed by grief. So, it's generally assumed that much of her interest in the seances was driven by her desire to communicate with her son's spirit. The grieving First Lady arranged for mediums to hold seances in the mansion's red room, some of which were probably attended by President Lincoln. And while Lincoln was known to be superstitious and often spoke of having dreams that foretold the good news to come from the battlefronts of the Civil War, he mainly seemed skeptical of the seances that were held in the White House. One medium invited Mary Lincoln and a man by the name of Lord Colchester, who held sessions at which loud rapping sounds were heard. Lincoln put a formal request in to Dr. Joseph Henry, the head of the Smithsonian Institute, to investigate. Dr. Henry determined that the sounds were faked, caused by the medium's device that was hidden under his clothes. Abraham Lincoln seemed satisfied with the explanation, but Mary Todd Lincoln remained steadfastly interested in the spirit world. And lastly, the last choice of the possibility of winning the results of these four ghost stories will win the next novel that will be written. And I found another one in 1800s about a decapitated train conductor 
who would swing a lantern near the site of where he died. No look into these spooky events in the 1800s would be complete without a story related to trains. The railroad was a great technological marvel of the century, but there's so much bizarre folklore about trains spread anywhere that a railroad track was laid. For instance, there are countless stories of these ghost trains, trains that come rolling down the tracks at night, but make absolutely no sound. One famous ghost train, which used to appear in the American Midwest, was apparently an apparition of Abraham Lincoln's funeral train. Some witnesses said the train was draped in black, as Lincoln's had been, but it was operated by skeletons. Railroading in the 19th century could be dangerous, and dramatic accidents led to some chilling ghost stories, such as the tale of the headless conductor that I found in one of my readings. As the legend goes, one dark and foggy night in 1867, a railroad conductor of the Atlantic Coast Railroad, his name was Joe Baldwin, he stepped out between two cars of a parked train in Mako, North Carolina. Before he could complete his dangerous task of coupling two cars together, the train suddenly moved and poor Joe Baldwin lost his head over the deal. In one version of the story, Joe Baldwin's last act was to swing a lantern to warn other people to keep their distance from the shifting cars. In weeks that followed the accident, people began seeing a lantern, but no man moving along the nearby tracks. Witnesses said the lantern hovered above the ground about three feet and bobbed as if being held by someone looking for something. But there was no one, just a lantern floating in midair. According to the veteran railroaders, the eerie sight was the deceased conductor, Joe Baldwin. What was he doing? Well, looking for his head, of course. The lantern sightings kept appearing on dark nights and engineers of oncoming trains could see the light and bring their locomotives to a stop, thinking they were seeing the light of an oncoming train. Sometimes, people said, they saw two lanterns, which were said to be Joe's head and body, vainly looking for each other for all of eternity. These spooky sightings became known as the Mako Lights, possibly the title of my next novel. According to legend, in the late 1880s, President Grover Cleveland passed through the area and heard the story. When he returned to Washington, he began regaling people with the tale of Joe Baldwin and his lantern. The story spread and became a popular Legend, reports of these Mako lights still continue very well into this century 
with the last sighting said to be around 1977. Whatever I choose to write about will add to the already existing ghost stories in the novels The Guitar, This Old House, Bellum Towers, or The Lady in Red, all available in bookstores where fine books are sold. Well, that's going to do it for me now, but wait, wait. Are you actually sitting there listening to my podcast and saying you don't believe in ghost stories? Then, honest to goodness truth, I will leave you with what happened to me when I was 15 years old, which is always supported by supernatural beliefs. When I was that young teenager, a long time ago, I had a recurring nightmare about being burned alive in a hotel. It was so realistic. I could feel the pain, hear the screams. Each dream I had would be more and more detailed. In my last one, I could even make out the exact details of the building with its wraparound porches and still remember jumping up in bed sopping wet with sweat. When my family took us on vacation one year later, we stopped in a small city in New Mexico near Cloudcroft and looked for a place to stay. We stopped in front of the exact hotel in my dream. No lie, it was complete with its wraparound porches. I just froze. And I asked my father over and over, please, if he would just please go to a different hotel, a different place to stay. Finally, after continuously pestering my parents about it and causing a big scene, we went to another hotel. That night, it burned down and we were supposed to stay there and many people lost their lives. Believe it or not. Well, <laughs> gotta go for today anyhow. Whew, that was pretty dreary, wasn't it? Hope you enjoyed the workings of an author's mind in deciding what my next model will be. In the meanwhile, be sure to click on follow and share my podcast with your friends. And if you got the time, be sure to leave some kind words to help my listeners around the world decide to hop along for the ride. Until then, everyone, happy listening and see you later, alligator. Well, that does it for me for another great episode from Sydney St. James. Be sure to click on the tab above that says send a voice message and I will get it from you and I'll probably play it back on one of my future podcasts. Also, don't forget to click the button follow. I'd love for you to follow my podcast. But it's been fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, 
Here I am, Sydney St. James. Happy listening. <laughs>